Welcome to The Greg Bennett Show. I'm your host, Greg Bennett, and this is an extraordinary conversation with a remarkable human being, Lucy Charles Barclay. Two weeks after she's just finally won the Ironman World Championships in Kona after four second place finishes. Her story is absolutely inspirational. She's dealt with injuries. She's dealt with so many things. And yet she was able to put all of that aside and conquer the world's toughest race in a record time of eight hours and 24 minutes. And this was just a wonderful conversation where Lucy shares so many behind the scenes stories. Um, I think you'll find so much out of this one, so many great takeaways. I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. And remember, success comes to those who endure just one moment longer. Speaking of success, have you ever tried fast food? It's a high performance fuel made from 100% real food. No more bloated feelings or crashes. With their unique optimal energy release system, you get consistent energy. Dive into their Galacto Gel, Galacto Gummy, or the Hydrator and taste the real difference. Give them a go and let me know what you think. You can write me on any of the social platforms. I'd love your feedback. You're out there training hard and racing, and I want to know how you feel on fast food. And remember, your mission is fast food's mission, so don't miss out. Well, today's guest needs little introduction. From four second place finishes to a wire-to-wire win with a shattering eight-hour, 24-minute course record at the Kona Ironman World Championships, her journey has been nothing short of legendary. Her resilience, her, her grit, and just sheer force of will have propelled her to the pinnacle of the sport. She won the Ironman 70.3 World Championships two years ago in one of the most impressive performances I think I've ever seen in the, in the world of triathlon. Then she won the long distance world championships last year. And now finally the jewel in the triathlon crown. And what I also believe one of the most outstanding performances in our sports history at the Kona Ironman world championships. I'm thrilled to have her back on the show once again. So Lucy Charles Barkley, welcome back. How are you? Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's good to be back. Thanks for having me back. And it feels pretty amazing hearing that intro and finally adding Kona to that. So yeah, absolutely over the moon with that. Oh, firstly, I got to say massive congrats. Um, You know, I commented a few of your Instagram posts and things over the last couple of weeks, but to be able to, you know, speak to you in person, um, huge congrats. And I believe most of the triathlon and endurance sports community were just absolutely willing you to that finishing line this year. I think you had an amazing amount of support. Did you kind of feel that energy? Oh, a million percent. I really felt it. And I felt it leading into the race. Like I had a lot of messages of people saying that this is your time. I believe you can do it. And actually hearing it before the race doesn't always help because it just feels like that extra bit of pressure. Um, and then even out on the course, like on Alihi Drive, everyone's saying it's your day, you're going to do it. And at that point, again, it still feels like a long way left to run. So well, it is. don't want to hear it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and then I guess just, even when we were running in the energy lab, like other pro women were just cheering me on. And I think they've been part of the journey and seen how much I've wanted it and how close I've come. So for them to be cheering me as well, just meant so much. Yeah. Look again, huge congrats to you and your whole team. Um, fantastic achievement. I imagine you've, you've had a quite amount of interviews and talking this past couple of weeks. How's that been going for you? 
Yeah, I feel like I've talked more about myself than I ever had in my life. So <laughs> Reese is probably sick to death of hearing it. But um, yeah. no, it's been amazing. It's been great. Um, yeah, yeah, obviously so happy to be able to share that journey and, and tell the story to more people. Yeah, well, hopefully this can be just a relaxed chat. Have you and Reese had a chance just to take a moment, and just, you know, breathe it in, soak it all in? We really haven't yet. No, yeah. like I think next week we'll kind of, we'll calm it down a little bit and, and have a bit of time to ourselves just to kind of really let it sink in what we've achieved together and, and the journey that we've been on to get to this point. Mm. Have, what, what the last couple of weeks, have there been any, you know, you said you had a, a but right before we hit recording, you had a live uh, interview and you've been struggling with a bit of a cold. Uh, any, any kind of really cool experiences so far? Um, I mean, I've never really had any mainstream media coverage in the UK. So I've already been on uh, BBC Radio, ITV News. I'm going to be on a TV show called Sunday Brunch on Sunday. Huh? So it's it's massively different than coming second already, it feels like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so cool. I'm so happy for you. Well, let's dive into it. I, I, I know you, you've repeated the story a few times, but I have to ask, sprinting down Elihi Drive, to the finish did you know you were on track for a record or I mean there was there was no hesitation I loved it you ran all the way through that finishing line there was no pause nothing what was going through your mind oh I just needed to get to that finish line I actually it's my one regret now I guess I just that late in the race anxiety kicks in and I mm-hmm. thought Annie Howe was right behind me and she was going to get me again and I wasn't going to get the win. So I was just like focused on that finish line tape and just, I've just got to get that and take it. <laughs> and now if I could go back knowing I actually had three minutes to spare, <laughs> I could have, I could have high-fived everyone. Yeah. I could have enjoyed it, but I just had to get to that finish line and do it. And I had no idea of the time either. I didn't realize I was under ah. the cause track horse or, or anything like that. So that was a massive surprise when I turned around and actually looked at the clock and was like, oh, wow, that must have been fast. I couldn't remember exactly what time Daniela had done when she'd broke the course record. Uh, but I was like, oh, it must be close. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I had no clue about time or anything. I think I was just so zoned in on just get to that finish line and get the win finally. I loved it. Personally, my, my competitive nature was like, oh, look at this. She's not even giving an inch. It was like just taking it to the, I don't know. Sometimes I think we go a bit too much. Don't get me wrong. I've done the same. You celebrate so much down the finishing line. I kind of love that you just, you're like, no, this is, I've come here to really conquer this race. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to leave nothing left. And it was, I th- that's what I took from it. It was like, you, you came to conquer and it wasn't, you know, until you crossed that line that you were going to ponder anything else. But, uh, I love that you, it was more that you were just scared of any hug and fair enough, by the way, she's running a two forty eight marathon. My goodness. Exactly. Um, you know, she's a freak too, but eight twenty four. you know, when I break that down, it's back to back four twelve halves, which obviously, right. But a four twelve half will win most 70.3s around the world. It's absolutely mind-boggling what you were able to put together. Was there a little bit of, wow, I just did that? Or did you always feel that that kind of performance was in you? I think this year, this year as a whole has been really frustrating for me. Like mm. I'd seen some amazing things in training and then gone and raced and been really disappointed. I mean, like, why is it just not, it's not coming together in a race? And I think 
then I was training really, really hard for this race. I'd done the best block of work I probably ever had, but I didn't have that confidence because the training just hadn't been coming through in racing all year. Mm. So actually when I started the race and felt good and I usually do feel good on the swim so the swim was the swim mm. and then it was more when I got on the bike and I just felt really solid and I was like okay the power's coming through the speed is high like I feel like I'm just in control and I was like okay maybe today is the day where the training's going to come through and I'm and finally going to have a good race mm. um, but I guess as well, an Ironman is such a long day. So you have to really stay so in the moment, but also just being so mindful at every point that like, are you pushing too hard or is this quite right? Am I fueling right? So there's so many elements that you're thinking about that actually a lot of the time I wasn't really thinking about my performance. It was just about managing everything all the way along. Like, have I had enough fuel? Am I hydrated? Am I overheating? Like, I think your mind is just going like overboard and actually you're physically exhausted at the end, but actually more mentally exhausted mm. from having to manage everything the whole day. And I think that was the thing I was so zoned in on everything um, and maybe more so than I ever have. And maybe that's why it contributed to the performance that I had. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Did you give yourself any chance to think about the, you know, whether it be Taylor Nib or Annie Hug or Daniel Riff or, do you allow your mind to wander or think about them or, or is it just all about you? Most of the time it's just, what am I doing? Am I, am yeah. I pushing how I'm going to be pushing? Am I executing the plan that Dan and Reese have laid out? Or, mm. And that was the main focus. I mean, every now and again, I would get a time split, which then reminded you there are other people in the race and <laughs> that's where they are. Are they gaining? Are they not? And most of the time they wasn't gaining. I was and, every time then when you get that bit of information it's like another positive lift mm. and I think it allows you to even push that bit harder because you know okay what I'm doing is working maybe I can extend that lead a bit more um but I think it's one of the most focused I've ever been I remember speaking to one of the guys from Cube after the race who was out near um Harvey and he had a whiteboard with the time splits on it and he said I've never ever ever seen you that focus that you just all you did was nod in acknowledgement of the gap and you were gone and he was like whoa I've never seen her mm. like that before so I definitely was in almost just complete zoning in on what I was doing and it worked it's like that state of flow they talk about Chicksamahai or whoever came up with that and you hit that state of flow did you find the kilometers sometimes were ticking by and were like oh I've just done that section I definitely felt that on the bike. I mean, the run was a different story. The run was a struggle from mile one, but mm, the mm. bike was complete flow state, definitely. Like, it's the best I've felt on the bike ever, I think. Wow. Um, so, yeah, the bike was – I knew I was having a day on the bike. I was like, this is amazing. This feels so good. Well, 4.32, wasn't it? 4.32 on the bike. I mean, that's that's your best time you've done there, isn't it? Or have you done close to that before? I think my best is 4.36, which was on a really fast day. That was the day that Daniela did the crazy bike time. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So that, that obviously was a very fast year that year. Yeah. Um, yeah. So pretty, pretty good going this year. Now, before we go into the race anymore, you know, you cross that finishing line. Um, tell, tell me a bit about that immediate post-race celebrations. Um, any kind of memorable moments of sort of crossing the line, knowing that you've, You've actually won this time? 
I think the overwhelming sense was relief to finally have done it. Like, and I had mm. left it all out there. Like I really had, I kind of just like, I remember there's a bit of video where Reese comes to hug me and I, my arms are like literally just dangling <laughs> on the floor. Like there's just nothing left. <laughs> I think I saw and, that. Uh, I think I saw yeah. that. He's like, give me a hug. He's like, oh, just hold yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> and then I think, it was really special to have Reese there, but obviously my sister there as yeah, well and yeah. all hugging and crying and just, um, yeah, just over the moon and so happy that we'd finally done it as a team. Yeah. And was there a point in the race when, you know, I'm sorry, there's a lot of sort of just direct questions at you, but I'm just fascinated. But was there a point in the race where you were thinking, I've got this, it's mine to lose? Did you kind of, I know any hugs coming, did you allow yourself to ever have a moment on the marathon um, or on the bike or at any point and go, I've got this? Yeah, I think on, on the swim and on the bike, I definitely felt that. I was like, I think, I think this is the day, but then I felt that before in Kona. And, <laughs> and you're like, I don't want to think that again. And it's, yeah. And it's not happened. I've, yeah. I've come second or, or led so late into the race and come second. So I don't actually think I, I remember, I guess the latest point in the race, or there was a point in the race where I had about 10K left to go. And Reese was actually out on the course at that point. And he said to me, have we got this? And I said, yeah, I've, I've got this. And I knew it didn't matter how painful it got or as long as I didn't die, I was going to do it. Like I was going to get there. I was like, this is the longest I've ever led for. I've still had about eight minutes on anyhow at that point. And I was like, this is the day that like, I'm going to do this. And I do actually remember thinking to myself, just imagine running with Lola and Pickle, like you run 10K at home with them in the forest. Mm -hmm. Imagine they're running there with you. And that really helped. I was like, right, this is, this is it. I'm going to do it. I, lo I love the phrase. I love, uh, Reese. have we got this? Not, you often hear people in the crowd, you got this. <laughs> and you're like, actually, I'm really suffering. <laughs> but as more, he questions you and makes you actually have to give her, give her an answer back. I love that. Was that something you guys have talked about and have experienced over time? Have you sort of said, look, Reese, I like this kind of feedback or I like this kind of comment? I mean, I've never, ever said to Reese what he should say at what moment, but mm. he just knows. He, whatever, he always says exactly the right thing. It's like he's inside my mind knowing what he needs to say. Um, that's been at every race I've ever been at. He seems to just know exactly what it is, mm. um, which is amazing, really. But I guess he's known me for so long. He sees me training. He mm. probably has seen in training what isn't the right thing to say. Because, <laughs> um so he's probably learned from that experience as well. So. Uh, that's, that's just a really cool question. I love it. Have we got this? I'm going to remember that. That's very cool. So let, let's, let's go back and, you know, 2023, well, the last time we spoke actually was you and Reese were both on the show and that was May of 2022. And or was it even earlier than that? April, I think. And you're in the middle of, you know, working through an injury, a broken hip or fractured hip at the time. Um, you both kept your eye on the prize. You both were able to change that year and, and still win a, a, a triathlon world championship title and then get second at Kona. This year, fast forward a little bit, 
you get a broken foot after running in uh, at a 70.3 in, which one was that? In Germany, right? In, in Craigau. Yes. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, okay, now I got to do this again. Tell me, how were you specifically able to get yourself back together? Um, and what were some of the unique ways that you sort of got yourself healthy, stayed in the game during that point? Because a lot of athletes would throw in the towel or bitch and moan. I think I even saw that you did a hundred miles bike rides with your boot on after having uh, with a broken foot. Is that right? Yeah, I think the the foot was a real freak injury. Like, and it was one of them when they say, if you don't laugh, you'll cry. So we just basically had to laugh about it. And we just did every single thing I could that would not make the foot worse. So it was like, I was going to train even more than I'd been training before but obviously I couldn't run. Uh, I couldn't weight bear initially with the boots. So I had to be a bit more careful, but I even swam in the sea with a moon boot on. Like I just did everything. You're awesome. You are so (laughs) awesome. I'm sorry. I I feel like I've been around the sport for 30, 40 years. I was talking to my father-in-law who's 82, still loves the sport and races. and, And I was saying to him, yeah, you know, she went and even put the boot on, put a flat pedal on one side and rode the boot a hundred miles. And it's, it's become a conversation for us. And I think for you, you're kind of laughing about it. And it's just, it's just so impressive. So go, sorry to cut you off. Keep going. Oh, no <laughs> you're blowing me yeah, away. So, so yeah, the moon boot, I ended up having about three different moon boots because they'd get so stinky and sweaty. So I'd have like my nice one for going out for dinner and my, my <laughs> one for training in. And um, I have two amazing friends who we train with quite a lot at home and they would come out cycling with me and, We'd cycle past a few groups of people and they would just look in shock that I'm wearing this moon boot and I've gone past them and obviously don't know who I am. So they must just think, God, she's so desperate to be out on her bike. And yes, in a way I was, but it was more actually like, no, I need to keep fit and do everything I can. And I actually was doing like rowing with an altitude mask on and Mm. I managed to get near like the Olympic standard for a 2000 meter row with a moon boot on. Get out. (laughs) What time did you row? What what did you do? What what time did you do? Oh, we'll have to dig, we'll have to dig it out, but it was pretty quick and we did lactate at the end and my lactate was like super high. Like I think it was nearly eight or something. He was like, well, he was like, well, you're still getting amazing training stimulus. So I think that was the thing we knew I was still keeping fit, even though maybe I was going to lose that top end off of my running form that Mm. had actually been very good in the race in Germany. I think I ran a one eighteen half with a broken foot. So, um, I didn't want to lose that because I felt like I was seeing my running form come back And so we just did everything we could. And I remember then when I eventually started training again properly, I was like, actually, I don't feel like I've lost too much. And my running started to come back quite quickly. So it really did pay off, even though it was, it was incredibly hard. Like I remember being like, I think one of the first days after we found out I'd broken my foot, I went and put my foot in the ice bath and started crying because not because the ice bath hurt my foot that much, but I was just like, oh, for God's sake, like yeah. I feel like I'm back to square one again with another injury just when I was getting good again. So, yeah, it, is, it was really tough, but I'm glad that we, we stayed positive and, and we did do everything that we could. Yeah, I think you, you said it earlier. It was like, you know, you either laugh or you cry at this point. And it's, you know, between you and Reese and, and Dan and obviously Holly and your whole team, you know, the whole team feels it, you know, you're, you're, you've got your foot in the ice bath. 
having a, a cry, but everybody's kind of inside just going, okay, we got to recalibrate. We got to adapt. We got to keep moving forward. And, and I think that's the most impressive thing that I've seen is the way that not only this injury, but even when, we, when you were on last time and your ability to take something that is devastating allow yourself to be devastated for the moment because it means so much, but then go, okay, adapt, transition and refocus and let's go again. And, and that to me is what's so impressive. And I think everybody listening is kind of nodding their heads going, yeah, I've had that injury. I've had that. And it's brutal to try and keep pushing the way you did. And you got yourself back to Singapore, the PTO Asian open, um, which was only a couple of months later um, from the original break. Was that always the goal? It always was the goal, but all of the specialists told me it was stupid. It was too ambitious and I probably shouldn't do it. And I remember I'd gone out to Lanzarote to train and actually I had another x-ray on my foot there and it was was looking a lot better. The bone looked funny because it had packed on loads of bone around it, Mm. but... Mm. the specialist was like okay I think you're you're safe to start running now in reality I'd I'd already started running a few days before that because (laughs) I felt confident that I could of course Um, you had but he was like yes okay I think you can start running now um and I'll have to check but I think I then only had like three weeks till Singapore anyway so we we knew we had to one just be confident that it wasn't going to break so we did push it quite a bit just to be sure that it wouldn't break in the race and I had no pain at any point so we were we were confident it would be fine and we knew that I needed to do a race before Kona as a bit of a rust buster anyway and just Mm. get the confidence back that okay my body can do a race and it's not going to break so that was the the main goal behind Singapore but it it definitely was ambitious to to Mm. think that I could do it. But then on the back of Singapore you're now starting to the confidence is growing um and, and now you were able to sort of really focus on a, on a Kona push, that final Kona push where there are sort of specific workouts that you nailed and you thought, mm, okay, I'm really, I'm back on track. Yeah. I decided to do my Kona block at home this year, which I'd never done before. So it, it was pretty much five and a bit weeks at home. I did all of my training indoors. I think I did, one bike ride and two runs outdoors. Um, so all wow. of the training was on the turbo, uh, all of the running on the treadmill. Wow. And we really saw the biking progress nicely, but actually it was the running that was progressing first. And Reese had set like where he wanted me to be bike owner on the run um, on this, on this session on the treadmill and week one, I hit it and he was like, Oh, right. Well, we can kind of reassess our goals then because you've already achieved what I thought you'd be doing at the end of the six weeks. That's great. Um, and that was just based off of me running at what we thought would be marathon pace and getting my lactate. And the lactate, I think, was below one. So he was like, mm. ah, right, well, you can definitely run quite a lot faster than that then. So um, we knew he was in a good place at the start. And there was definitely ups and downs still in that block with fatigue and my my running was doing well and it was actually masking my cycling to begin with because it was I wasn't able to bike as well due to the fatigue from the run. Mm. But after a couple of weeks that the cycling clicked as well and I was really happy with, with where I was at and knew that I'd be cycling well in Kona if I could hold those kind of watts. So mm. I was definitely growing in confidence. But the, the strange thing was that I just, even when we got to Kona, I just didn't have this 
like outwardly beaming confidence. And I think when I when I won the 70.3 Worlds in St. George, I stood on the start line or even the week leading into that race and I just felt like I was going to win. I just, I had it, I was like, mm. I'm going to do this. Whereas mm. I didn't feel that in Kona this year. I just felt like I'm just going to try and execute what I've done in training and hoped that that would be enough to maybe contend for the win. Um, so I felt very different with those two races. Yeah. Well, I mean, they were, they were different races. I mean, that, that, that 70.3 world champs when you had the fastest swim, fastest bike, fastest run, um, really what well, <laughs> I said it in the intro, that one blew me away. Um, just as much as this one did, uh, especially wire to wire. I don't know how many athletes have done wire to wire in Kona. I was trying to I think I had Julie Dibbons on the podcast and we were trying to figure out who had done that man. Yeah, or woman, I think but... they said that Dave Scott's the only man yeah, who's done what... it. And there was one lady who did it really early on, but she was the only woman in the race. Right. Um, so it kind of doesn't really count. I no, think. it doesn't. I, so. I just think that in itself, anybody that's ever led a race or had anybody chasing them, even if it's just, you know, when you were a kid and somebody, you know, your brother's running around that it's scary being out front when somebody's <laughs> chasing you and you know, and the targets on your back and it, it's something obviously you've gotten fairly probably used to maybe, you know, because you do lead the swims out. Um, but you know, you've been passed four times, um, in Kona yeah. and you've had that target on your back. I'm really curious, your, your, your mental approach and what self-talk you're having during the marathon because um, you had a bit of an Achilles injury, right? That you were kind of trying to run through a little bit as well. Yeah. So we thought it was Achilles. It actually turned out to be my plantaris, which is another tendon. Mm. Um, and because when I started running the marathon, I, the pain wasn't in my Achilles anymore. It was right on my calf. And at mile one was excruciating pain. Um, and I, it was at that point that I thought, no, like I've, I've got a 12 minute lead over Annie Howe got in the moment and I'm going to be walking or I'm going to DNF. And I, and I just had to, I had a moment, there was a very small moment of that. And then it was like, no, I I don't actually care how bad the pain is unless my leg isn't able to function. I'm not stopping. Um, so yeah, I just, every single stride as I pushed off with my foot was agony and I saw Reese at mile four and I said, I think I said something like, it's bad, it's really bad, which oh, again, I wish I hadn't said that to him now because it probably made his day awful because um, he couldn't <laughs> do anything about it. Um, but I just felt like I needed to tell someone that it mm. wasn't great inside. Um, so yeah, that was that was pretty bad. I mean, it, it got a bit better and I could push a bit and then it would get worse. But the thing that kept me confident was I would look at my watch and be like, well, the pace is still exactly what I'd set out to run at. Like, this is fine. And I'm not slowing down and the gap's not really coming down. So you've just got to keep going. And I guess the only thing I focused on for the entire run was my calf. I just thought about that. And Reese asked me after the race, like, did you notice the heat at all? And I just realized that I hadn't even even thought about the heat because I was just thinking about my calf. <laughs> I was thinking about the so, other pain. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> what was your pace that you set out to to hold? And was it even split the whole way or did you kind of approach the race differently? I mean, I'd intended to run like close to 250. That's what we'd seen in training. Mm. And I set off around that pace. Yeah. Um, I definitely slowed down towards the end. Um 
but that was that felt very comfortable in the beginning despite the pain so um again I feel happy and sad that I wasn't able to run that quick but also I think it keeps me motivated to know there's still more I can get out of myself so that's good oh the athlete mentality right it's like (laughs) it's pretty good but I got more I love that um when, when you the final sort of when did you go down to Kona and what was the final taper like did you give yourself a good rest yeah, so we went um, over two weeks before. We went out maybe two and a half weeks before the race. And mm. I always have done pretty much all of the work, like the big work before I get there. There's a few key sessions left to do. But, um, yeah, that's just how I like to do it. I always feel really happy when I get on the island. I weirdly feel more relaxed once I'm there. I guess knowing all the work is done yeah. is, yeah. is a good part of that. And obviously it gives you enough time to just get used to that heat again, which always even when you've done heat work at home initially is a bit of a shock um but yeah it didn't take too many days to get over that this time mm. when you said you do heat work at home do you guys do sauna work or what kind of what, what are you doing your steam rooms or yeah so we do some where we just simulate heat when i'm training when it's like the easy session so i don't think i ever really had a fan on when i was indoors doing the the biking and, and running but i'd also have sessions where we'd actually put heaters on on the bike and, and make it really hot and then go straight into a sauna or a, or a hot bath straight afterwards and just see how long you can tolerate keeping that core temperature high mm. and i think the one i did one run outside where reese made me put on like so many layers and mm. it was worse than running indoors so i decided i didn't want to go outside again after that. <laughs> i'd rather just be indoors so. <laughs> i love it oh man and so by the time you got to race morning are you somebody are you somebody that gets i mean everybody gets a little bit excited or nervous whatever you want to call it how do you kind of how do you for manage that are you listening to music um and if so what kind of music are you listening to yeah I always the most nervous and sick I feel is always the night before the race I remember Mm. going to bed the night before the race and saying to Reese why this is the most ridiculous job ever why have I got this job (laughs) um and then it's completely different on race morning like I wake up and I guess you're already like in race mode like right okay I need to drop off my pre-race or I need to drop off my special needs nutrition. I need to do this. And then I've got to do that with my bike. And you're kind of going into that autopilot of what you need to do already. So I do remember doing all of that and then speaking to Reese. And then I was like, right, I'm going to go and kind of just get my mind ready. I think I normally have music on, but then turn it off probably about, I think it was half an hour before. And I do remember standing on that pier thinking you've never done as much work as you have this time like you are so ready Mm. just go out there and do what you can do and I felt really relaxed in that moment um probably one of the most relaxed I've ever been standing on the start line in Kona which isn't easy when the helicopters are flying over Mm. and it's the world championships they're they're playing the drums which is like just getting your heart beating faster but I did feel quite relaxed which was a nice place to be waiting for that race to start yeah we've got you're very experienced now in, in Kona, um, you know, and you, you won your age group or the age group world champs there well, a number of years ago now, but with your, your four second places and, and, and this win, those, those second place finishes, is there anything that you learned from them that we haven't talked about yet that you felt really helped you get the win? You know, uh, all of them are different, but there was anything that you can take away from any of those? 
I think every single one of them, maybe not the first one was just an, an amazing surprise. It was my pro debut there and I never expected to come second. So that was just magical and always will be like the most, mm. one of the most magical race experiences there. But I think all of the other second places just taught me to not give up. Like even when you've led for so long and someone comes past you to take the win, I never ever spiraled into negativity. Like I always kept pushing and there was I think it was the year where maybe 2019 when I went into third place because Sarah Crowley came past Mm. and I never gave up like I went I went back past her with maybe two miles to go and I think that's something I've just learned is that you don't give up ever and it because the person who's gone past you might have a problem you're still a race they've still got to get to the finish line so I guess I never lost hope in all of those races um and was always proud of the second place finish and always knew it would just give me that more fire to go away and train again and Mm. come back and get the win but this year was a bit different because I found the training leading in very hard I think doing it at home did make it harder because I was at home but I wasn't at home I was on training camp at home so mentally that was challenging and I remember saying to some of my friends before the race I don't know if I can do that block of work again if I don't win because mm. um, it was so tough. Mm. And knowing that I wanted to win the race in Kona, that's where it's special to me. So I knew I'd have to wait two years if I wanted to do it again. <laughs> oh, so, yes, of course. We'll get to that. Oh, yeah, yeah. So yeah. the internal pressure was higher than it had ever been. I tried to block it out, but it still was there. But I guess all of those second places before have kind of teed me up to be ready to get the win and there's so many things that I do as like autopilot in Kona now because I am I know the course so well um and I didn't even think about doing them they were just happening so yeah being experienced definitely help and just Mm. knowing how to cope when it doesn't quite go to plan as well I love how you mentioned you know your training block and you're like I don't know if I can do that again and it, it's funny, Laura and I always talk about like, and I don't want to bring it back to myself, but it was kind of like one of the reasons we ended up retiring when we did was kind of, I just don't want to suffer anymore. <laughs> the bucket's empty and the suffering. And it's like what people don't see, you know, Instagram will always show you, you know, cruising along, but the suffering is real and, and you, you're peering over the edge daily. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, you, you really are taking yourself above and beyond what you've ever done before. And, and it really is painful. Um, and I kind of want to just move on to, you know, we've talked about Reese, well, you've mentioned him a few times. He's obviously an amazing human being. And I, I think he's a, an amazing guy. And I, I loved having him on the show last time. Um, but when, when you guys are working together, how is he at playing bad cop, good cop in your training? Is he, is he, is he tough on you? I think he, he is very tough on me. He said, he didn't say this until we got home from Kona, but he admitted how hard he was on me. And it made me a lot of the time I thought, God, like, am I doing that badly? Like, and it was the hardest he's ever been on me really. And I guess as well, he wanted me to win it so badly. I know our whole family did. Mm. Um, but he really did push me on this block, particularly on the running where 
I ran harder and further than I ever have. And probably we kind of both did say, actually, like, I don't want to be on the start line in Kona unless I can win. And if that means I get injured in the process and I'm not there, then tough, really. Like that was how far we pushed it. Um, mm. So, yeah, it was incredibly tough. And I, I was, it was hard for him as well because he wasn't really training, but I had to be up at five every morning to swim. So, I was making him be in bed at eight, half eight every night. I was like, why are you not in bed? Like, I've got to be up. So yeah. it, it was tough uh, on both of us, but particularly on him because he was at home and he couldn't see anyone. He didn't go out. He was also like locked in the house and on this prison camp. So um, yeah, it was a challenge for both of us, but ultimately it paid off. And now I think I probably could do the block of work again, knowing it works. Yeah. When I was doing it, of course, like, yeah. going to pay off. Yeah, so, yeah, of course. Um, that yeah. was the hardest part. And, 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 you know, between the two of you, you've been on this journey from day one since it was, was it you or him who had the crazy idea and said, oh, there's this Iron Man thing we should go do. I, I can't remember who. I think it was, we both did it at the same time. We were like, Let, let's just do that. Yeah. I can't remember if it was more one or the other. So, yeah. Yeah. But how has your relationship evolved over these years now? And, and you've been through tremendous stress and adapted and had tremendous success. You know, your career now is, it's really starting to look quite legendary. Um, you know, how has your relationship between the two of you evolved together? I mean, we have an amazing relationship. I really feel like we have this unbreakable bond because of the amount of things we've been through. And mm. obviously, Reese has dedicated so much time to me. He's given up his own professional career to help my career. And I'm so grateful for that. But there's been so many tough times that like the injuries have been really, really hard on both of us. And I think when the foot broke this year, it was like two weeks before that Reese decided that he wasn't going to race anymore because he was going to go all in and help me. And then my foot broke yeah. and it was just like, Oh, this couldn't have happened at a worse time because he was going to fully support me. And now I can't really do much, but actually then he poured himself into helping me to become stronger, even with the injury. And, and he's, extremely creative and can come up with things for me to do that are still going to get me fit like rowing with a moon boot on and actually when I broke my hip I was rowing with a roller skate on one foot so that I could roll with that leg out straight so um yeah he's <laughs> the he's definitely the mastermind and I just do as I'm told well I, it really you guys really do come across as as a, as a wonderful couple and I know you've got your sister Holly who a big shout out to Holly because I love watching her work and and I've said this to you before I think you are the most professional in the sport if I if I was to say the whole package I would always say yourself and your team um the way that you train, the way that you share your training with the world and the stories that you tell. Um, I just think it's absolutely, you've been fantastic for the entire sport. Um, what comes next? I mean, it's a different kind of pressure now. It's, uh, you know, the box is ticked. Um, you are the world champion and, you know, what comes next? Yeah, I find it weird actually because I think a lot of people when they – win Kona or they win that world title they feel more pressure to have to perform at that level whereas I feel the complete opposite because mm. I felt like I had so much pressure on me to try and win 
and everyone be like, oh, she's she's always going to come second. She's this, she's that. She's so overrated. She's this. Oh, who and said that? I did see that one comment. Oh, please. Um, and I actually <laughs> thought of it at the end at the end of the marathon in Kona. I thought of that and I thought, ha, like. Yeah, I want to know who said that. You. Um, <laughs> you can't be reading but, slow twitch or whatever you found that on. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, I think. I feel much less pressure having done it. And I feel actually I can mm. go and race races now just because I love to race and kind of refine that love for this sport that maybe had been hard to find at times when I've been struggling with injuries to come back and to try and get this win. So that I feel really fortunate that now I'm just going to enjoy racing. Obviously I still want to win whenever I line up and yeah. I'm so excited for next year because there's so many opportunities to race. There's, the PTO series, Ironman have got their series. Um, there's obviously still the big challenge races. Like you could probably race every single weekend at mm-hmm. a high level race. Now it's the most exciting time ever to be a triathlete. So I haven't planned out what my season looks like entirely next year or even at all, to be honest. I've mm-hmm. been too tired after this race. <laughs> well, aren't you going to go row for the Olympics? We've got the Olympics <laughs> I mean, rowing. Not- hey, we've got to turn it up a little bit. I'm going to throw that one in the mix. Um, speak to Cam Worth on that one yeah Cam's Cam's <laughs> crossed over hasn't he uh, I'd be fascinated to see how fast you could row that'd be good I'm, I'm only asking because I, I suffer on the rowing machine myself and I can't even break seven minutes yet I'm like ah <laughs> but, but it's a lot of fun um, we haven't talked about Dan Lorraine I you know and for people that don't know Dan um, he has been on the show a couple of times but he coaches yourself Annie Hug who's going to win the PTO World Series this year, um, and Jan Fredeno, who arguably is the greatest of all time male triathlete. Um, you know, what, what do you think it is about Dan's sort of training philosophy that sets him apart? What's he, what's he, what's he doing? And I know he works with Reese, so it's kind of you, you have the yeah. two coaches, but, you know, you follow his guidance to some degree. What do you think his philosophy is that's really resonating with you? I mean, obviously, whatever he's doing is working. Since I've worked with Dan, I've won three world titles. We've navigated two broken bones, which, again, at times I thought, God, he's going to think, why am I working with this woman? And she, she keeps breaking and all of this. But he's always stood by me and had had an amazing training plan that, to set out and for me to follow, and it, it always seems to work. But he's just – he's an amazing coach, but he's an even better person. Like, he's – an amazing person he's been there throughout the highs and lows that we've had on this relatively short amount of time but I remember when he actually reached out to us to see if we would want to work with him which was when I was looking at potentially doing the short distance racing and the long distance racing because he was intrigued in that he'd never seen anyone done it obviously the way I was going to do it from long to short Mm. but he had the experience there having worked with Olympic distance athletes and long distance athletes um, as it transpired, I didn't decide to go down that route, but we both sat down together and I said, the thing I really want to achieve in this sport is the winning Kona. And he was like, right, we're going to set a master plan for you to do that. And despite the two major hiccups of the injuries, we, we was able to do it. So, mm. um, yeah, he's a invaluable part of the team and he works perfectly alongside Reese, which is amazing to have those two people in my corner one setting the overarching plan and then the other person being Reese being there day to day, making sure I'm able to do it. So 
yeah, it's an amazing team. Yeah, big shout out to Dan. Got to get you back on, mate, if you're listening. Um, I, I, I'd love to chat to him and pick his brain some more. He's actually the most downloaded episode um, on, oh, the, wow. on the Greg Bennett Show. Yes, he's outdone you and Yarn, which I was yeah. sort of surprised at, but there you, there you go. <laughs> so there's, there's another goal you can have. Um, we've got to push this episode <laughs> out. Um, I want to move over and just chat about some opinions. We, we kind of brushed over it earlier, you know, you said, look, I, I want to win Kona. That's Kona's my goal. And otherwise I've got to wait two years. You know, Ironman have split the world championships up, men and women, um, and they go between Nice and Kona now. Um, I'd love to get your thoughts firstly on the men and women being separate. Um, I've loved watching yourself and Chelsea Sedaro get to actually cross the finishing line first without men being in the way the last two years. But your thoughts? men and women being separate? I mean, my initial view was like, this is a disaster. Like this is the worst thing that can happen. Mm. But I think that's just because I've always been such a fan of the sport. I've loved watching the men race. I've loved watching Jan race. And I remember when he won um, running out in the Queen K and he was running the other way and just to see him winning and just being in awe was amazing. But, um, and I enjoyed watching the men's race in my lead up to Kona this year, Mm -hmm. not being there. So initially I thought, oh God, this is going to be terrible. But actually I enjoyed watching their race. It looked from the outside like it was a great success and the course looked fantastic. And I guess it adds another challenge or another element to see if someone can be a world champion on a different course, which I think is, Mm -hmm. is good for the sport. And then I guess when I got to Kona and it was women only, I didn't know what to expect, but the feeling was amazing. It was so positive. The media coverage was oh. way more than I thought we were going to get. And I actually think on the views, we actually had more views than the men's race. So it's amazing for being a female athlete to know that the interest is there for us without the men being there. So yes. it proves mm-hmm. that we've got a valid platform as female athletes. And the racing, of course, we had the most stat field ever. So Overall, now afterwards, I think it was really positive um, and, a, and a good change. Mm, I think I couldn't agree with you more. And you write about all those statistics and numbers. the The women's race was off the chart. Um, <laughs> we were all watching it from whatever time zone and and cheering you on in particular. But it was um, it really was outstanding. And look, I'm not in the Ironman room, knowing why decisions are made and everything else. And and I know it's a lot on the people in Kona to have such a big event. Um, I do think I did enjoy last year where we actually got to have the women and men, but on separate days. I thought that was if we could have that, that I'd be really happy. But yeah, um, because I do love it all being together. There was something missing when I was watching Nice, and it's kind of like I felt like we were missing something in Nice. Um, I think it was outstanding. I'm not knocking the men's performances, but I did miss seeing you all race there. Um, I didn't miss as much not seeing the men in Kona though, which was strange. I think, I don't know why. Maybe I was just blown away by everybody else's performances. But anyway, we, you, you also mentioned the prize money, um, PTO and the new Ironman. Um, they have an end of year purse, which I believe you could do several Ironman and 70.3 races or something. Are you going to be sort of looking at those or is that kind of an afterthought and it's about winning world championships? Yeah. I mean, definitely still at this point I'm undecided. Like I think 
the PTO races really excite me. I haven't won one of those races yet. So that's something that mm. draws me in because I, I definitely want to be able to take one of their finish line tapes. And they seem to bring the highest level of competition regularly, which excites me. But then obviously two days before the race in Kona, Ironman announced their series, which for a spannering the works really, because it's like, oh, wow, this is another racing opportunity. It's fantastic. And the opportunities for racing are definitely better than ever, like I said. So um, deciding when and where to race will be quite important. I don't think we have, we don't have all of the dates yet for the PTO races. So I guess that will make my mm. decisions easier once I know when they are and what can work around the Ironman races as well. Um, but yeah, I'll have to make some decisions soon because realistically I can't race every weekend, even though I'd love to. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's going to be exciting 2024 for sure. Yeah. And the Olympics are out, right? They are out at the moment. Yeah. I think there's so much exciting racing over the middle and long distance and there's mm. so much money to be made. Of course. Actually, yeah. I think it would be, obviously it would be amazing to go and race at the Olympics. It's been a childhood dream of mine, but I think, I'm finding enjoyment in what I'm doing and the opportunities are so great that I think the smart choice is to just stick with what I'm doing. No, and well said. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, for me, it was always the opposite. Going to the Ironman on long distance was sort of moving away from where all the money was. And for me, it was non-drafting Olympic distance. I think people were like, when are you doing, when are you going to step up and do Kona? I'm like, but it has no money compared to what I can do yeah. here. You know, it's like, I'm a, I'm a business. I got to run a business here. Yeah. Um, and you have a limited window, you know, it's like, you've got this maybe 20 years, but still, it's still a window and you've got to, you've got to make hay while the sun shines. Um, and I think you, you guys are doing exceptionally well at that. Hey, you, on that, if you, your sponsorships, are you in, um, you've got Evan managing you, that's all been good. That's, yeah, Evan's been amazing. I actually got to see him in Singapore, which was lovely. So, um, yeah, he was there supporting me in the race there. We we caught up over dinner and he does an amazing job of managing all of the sponsors and opportunities and keeping them happy. Even when I'm injured, we're able to obviously still share my journey and showcase how I'm still working with the amazing people that I am. Mm. So, yeah, incredibly fortunate to have him in my corner. And mm. it was actually his daughter, Charlie, that designed my race kit for Kona with the mermaid idea. So, oh. um, yeah, the whole family getting involved, which is amazing. Oh, that's um, awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Have you had plenty of knocks on the door since winning? I think Evan's, uh, been pretty busy i've just been my i mean my inbox has blown up but mainly for interviews and yeah and talking and listening to me so um yeah i'll let evan deal with that side but i'm sure he's been quite a busy man recently yeah well fantastic um i want to finish up um maybe just these final four we have done these i think in the past but i'm going to throw them at you again um first one what would you tell your 18 year old self Oh, I mean, I'd probably say just just stick with it like you're going to do it because that was probably one of the times where I was doubting a lot, having missed out on the Olympics. So, yeah, just would have said just keep doing it, keep stick with it, you're going to do it. I love it. Three people you'd want to have dinner with, non-family, living or dead? Oh, definitely Michael Phelps, mm. um, Ed Sheeran. Mm -hmm. and um, there is a guy called brian cox who's like a 
I want to say astrophysicist, but um, I might have said that wrong. But basically, he looks into space exploration, and I like watching him on telly because he can make things that sound super, super complex sound simple, but then you scratch your head and realize you don't understand anything. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, it's true. I love those super bright people that can really take complex things and dumb them down. Um, it's been like my business partner, Ed Baker at any question. He's, he's so bright that these very complex things. And then I'm like, Oh yeah, I get it. Yeah. All right. Um, all right. Next one. Where do you see yourself in five years? Oh, five years. Um, well, hopefully I would have won some more world titles. I think I'll definitely <laughs> still be in the sport of triathlon. You're not getting rid of me that soon. So, um, yeah, maybe I'll have some PTO wins as well. I love it. Well, you know, I just had Ashley Gentle on the show last week. Um, and so we were celebrating all her PTO wins. So, Ash, if you're listening, you've got somebody on your heels. Um, <laughs> she wants a couple more. So, all right, let, let's finish up with some rapid fire. You up for it? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Favorite non-triathlon workout? Ooh, probably going to say rowing. I was going to say. <laughs> with, with the mask on. I love that you do it with the mask on as well, just to make it even harder. All right. Last book you read? Ooh, what one did I read? It's always hard because people are either podcasters or more Netflix people or, you know. Yeah, I mean, I'm more Netflix and I've been watching uh, the Beckham little documentary oh, with David Beckham. It's meant to That's be really good. good. Mum called me and said, yeah, I've got to watch good. that one. Yeah, I've got to check that out. Ocean or mountains? Oh, mountains, but I've, I've converted to that over the last couple of years since training at altitude. Mm. The mountains is, yeah, pretty special. Where do, where do you go for your altitude training or mountains? Um, we went to Font Rameau this year, actually, which yeah. is lovely. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was one of my favorites. And I go to Austria a lot to train at the Red Bull Performance Center and Austria is stunning. So mm. yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. All right. Coffee or tea? Oh. <laughs> I'm going to go tea, but that can change daily. But tea is what I'm having at the moment. Oh, you are so British. All right. <laughs> Who's the most extraordinary podcast host in the world? Oh, that is difficult. I mean, don't you dare screw gonna, this one up. I'm going to have to say Greg Bennett. <laughs> I'm sure you've done quite a few of them now. All right. It's Netf- getting highly competitive, this podcast field, though, isn't it? Well, so, uh, it kind of yeah. is. You know, I, I started mine about four years ago, and for the most part, it was so I could have a weekly conversation with just good friends that are doing incredible things. And I quite enjoy it. I don't do a lot of hardcore promotion around it. I could probably do better. If anybody's listening and they want to help me with my whole social media world, Holly, if you're listening, um, it's, I don't do a lot to really push it hard, but boy, I just enjoy these conversations. So anyway, great answer. Let's move on. Most used app on your iPhone or your phone. Ooh, this changes daily at the moment. It's my email app. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Um, and here's one for you. Last concert you attended. Oh, James Blunt last summer. I think it was in London at Kew Gardens. Yeah. He's awesome. I follow him on Twitter. He's actually really funny. I like that guy. He's funny. Um, best meal you can cook. 
Ooh, it's still spaghetti bolognese, which I made last night, which is Reese's favourite. So very cool. Who does most of the chores around your house? You or Reese? Well, when I'm in Kona training, Reese, but when I'm not, it's back to me. And this last couple of weeks, you're still doing it all, or you? That's not fair. You've just had your win. You've got so much uh, going it's on. It's about fifty-fifty at the moment. Fifty-fifty. <laughs> yeah. And and. Okay, we're we getting another pet. What's happening? You've got two puppies now, right? Well, we've agreed that we really love our two, so we're going to stick with two for now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what are you going to get yourself? What are you getting yourself for this win? That is a good win? question. I've always wanted a G-Wagon, which is the mm. Mercedes G-Wagon. AMG 6.3, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'd said if I win, I would get one, but I didn't think I would win. So now I'm like, oh, am I going to get one? Mercedes, <laughs> are you listening? Jan Fredino, can you help us out here, mate? You've, you've had a Mercedes badge on your head for years. Um, and actually, Danielle is with Merck as well, I think. So, she is, yeah. Yeah, okay. Mercedes, are you listening? We need an AMG uh, G-Wagon 6.3. That's all I see when, when I drop my kids off at their school here, which is a – you know, a little private school that's close by. All I see is one G wagon after another. Very cool. Oh, wow. Yeah. Very cool. <laughs> All right. Last one. Something you wish you were better at? Oh, I wish I was better at probably, mm, this is a difficult one. It is a difficult but one. <laughs> in, in, when I'm in race mode, I'm very good at staying calm and not getting stressed. But in normal life, I'm the opposite of that. So I wish I could stay a lot calmer in normal life and not get so stressed. Yeah, I like that. I, I can hear that in myself too. All right, Lucy, this has been fantastic. I really appreciate you coming on. Like I said, you, you've you've conquered the world. You've been in high demand the last couple of weeks and, and you still made time for me. So I really appreciate you for that. And just sharing your story and your journey and, and actually, you know, the race itself. Congrats again to to you and Reese and the team. Um, everybody, really appreciate you guys. Oh, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. All right. Stay on the line, Lucy. And for everybody else listening, you can find all the show notes at bennettendurance.com forward slash media. This was a blast. Cheers. Mm-hmm.